0: Welcome to the Inspirational Living Podcast, brought to you in part by the generous financial support of listeners like you. Get inspired to conquer your fears and live your best life with our brand new hardcover book, Everest, 50 Motivational Life Lessons. Thanks to a special offer from our bookmaker, Blurb.com, you can now get 30% off the sales price with the coupon code LIVINGHOUR30. Visit inspirationallifelessons.com to learn more. Now, on to today's reading, which was edited and adapted from Wake Up and Live by Dorothea Brand, published in 1936. There are dozens of small ways by which we can make our minds both keener and more flexible. Two qualities that are necessary for those who intend to live successfully. We all succumb too easily to the temptation to find a routine which allows us to get our day's task done with a minimum of effort and conscious attention. A fact which might have no unfortunate effects at all, if we use the time we save by our routines to a good purpose, But the cold truth is that we do nothing of the sort. We apply the habit of routines to our whole lives, growing mentally and spiritually more flaccid, more timorous, less experimental with every day we spend supported by the rigidity of habit. Habit takes care of most of our ordinary activities we get through our work by using only that part of our intellect which has been trained to consider the work's specific problems. When we meet a novel thought or situation, we fall back on an analogy and act according to the prejudice or emotion which it arouses in us. Even those who think of themselves as extraordinarily hard workers are not usually in that state of mental training which allows them to get the most from their lives. One great reason is that the benefits of civilization are mixed blessings. We are no longer called on to meet the extremes of heat and cold, or to go through alternate periods of plenty and scarcity of food. Electric lights turn night into day everywhere, and the internet and TV entertains us, so that we seldom look to ourselves for our own resources. We have allowed ourselves to soften, to abandon our ingenuity, to escape responsibility whenever possible, till we grow to fear and abhor the very word discipline. Yet discipline is learning restraint in order to develop the qualities necessary for a full life. We should first take stock of our minds, and then set to work on them to strengthen them here, make them more flexible there, stretch them somewhat, teach them to be more exact. In short, put them through their paces so that we get maximum use and advantage from them. In order to do so, we must learn to discipline ourselves by no means an easy matter for a generation which has not only been softened by material conveniences, but has been given the dubious benefit of being allowed to psychologize about itself, day in and day out. Some of us dread and dislike restraint so much, that we live our lives between habit and impulse, under the impression that only so can we be wholly free. But freedom, says Aristotle, is obedience to self formulated rules, and the definition holds as good today as it did 2,000 years ago. We must work to get back tone and muscle into our lives until it is possible to stop one activity and turn to another, varying the approach, stroke, and strength behind the effort with as much agility and deftness as a skillful tennis player uses to meet the shifting play of a good opponent. If we could know each day just the necessities that we should be called on to meet, we could prepare ourselves in advance, and flexibility and ingenuity would be uncalled for. Since that does not happen, we must get ourselves into training to meet the infinite calls that are made upon us, instead of, as we usually do, discharging easily only one or two matters which are natively congenial to us, and getting through the others awkwardly, blindly. The following exercises which I am going to suggest to you have been drawn from all over the world. None of them is arbitrary in the sense of being pointless. Each develops or strengthens a faculty of the mind which should be kept in good condition if a life is to be led purposefully and under one's own control. Number one. The first exercise is to spend an hour every day without saying anything except in an answer to direct questions. This should be done in the midst of your usual group, and without giving anyone the impression that you are sulking or suffering from a bad headache. Present as ordinary an appearance as possible. Simply do not speak. Answer questions just to their limit, and no further. Give a full and adequate answer. But do not continue with volunteered remarks which are suggested by the answer or the question, and do not attempt in any way to draw another question from the person with whom you are speaking. Oddly enough, this is a difficult discipline for even a normally taciturn person. We are also used to breaking into speech whenever we meet one another, merely in order to give evidence of our friendliness and accessibility that we talk almost constantly whenever there is an opportunity. Number two. Learn to think for half an hour a day exclusively on one subject. Simple as this sounds, it is at first ludicrously hard to do. You should begin by thinking on a solitary subject for five minutes a day at first increasing the period daily until the half hour has been attained. To begin with, a concrete object should be chosen. A flower, a bottle of wine, a scarf. Do not have it before you. Build it up in your mind. With a flower, for instance, describe it to yourself as each of the senses would report it. When that is done, go on to how it grows and where what it symbolizes, if anything, what uses are made of it. From this simple beginning, work up to considering a concrete problem, and finally to an abstraction. Start with subjects which really interest you, but when you have taught your mind not to wander even for a moment, begin choosing a subject by pointing your finger at random, on a magazine or the page of a book and think on the first idea suggested by the lines you have touched. Number 3. Write a letter without once using the following words. I, me, my, mine. Make it smooth and keep it interesting. If the recipient of the letter notices that there is something odd about it, the exercise has failed. This practice, and others like it, again allows us to see ourselves in perspective. In order to write a good letter of this sort, it is necessary to turn the mind outward, to give up for a while the preoccupations and obsessions with our own affairs. We then come back to our own lives refreshed. Number 4 Similar to the last exercise, Try talking for 15 minutes a day without using the words I, me, my, and mine. Number 5. Keep a friend or acquaintance talking about themselves without making them aware that you are actually doing this. Turn back at first any courteous reciprocal questions in such a way that the other person does not feel rebuffed you will find a genuine interest rising in you for your companion. Soon, if you are at all kindly or imaginative, you will find yourself engrossed, and the last lingering trace of self-consciousness will drop from you. During the conversation, it may be that you will not be asked about yourself. That makes no difference. At the very least, you have learned a little more about how the world looks to another person, and thus extended your horizon. Number 6. The exact opposite of the last exercise, and infinitely harder to do, is to talk exclusively about yourself and your interests, without complaining, boasting, or if possible boring your companion make yourself and your activities as interesting as you can to the person to whom you are talking. This is an excellent exercise for those who ordinarily talk too much about themselves, for it brings them face to face with the ordeal which they are putting their friends through at every opportunity. When talking about one's own interests is undertaken consciously, every sign of indifference of boredom, of restiveness or impatience, is only too plainly seen. Both this exercise and the weakness will be abandoned gratefully after one or two occasions. Number 7. This is the most difficult of all. It will seem so arbitrary to many of you that you will not even try to apply it. Arrange to put yourself into situations where you must act non-habitually, where you must adapt yourself. Members of the military are constantly in a state of living under orders, and we recognize in them a resiliency that is absent from the characters of most men and women who live according to their own convenience. It is not easy to get this resiliency back into our lives, but it is a quality too valuable to be lost. On a number of slips of paper, 12 will do to start with. Write instructions like these. Go 20 miles from home, using public transportation. Go 12 hours without food. Go eat a meal in the unlikeliest place you can find. A restaurant in a totally foreign quarter of a city is a good option here. Say nothing all day except in answer to questions. Stay up all night and work. And this, by the way, is the most valuable order of them all. You must plan to work steadily and quietly. Resisting every temptation to lie down for a few moments, but relaxing very slightly against the chair back every hour or so. Bracing yourself to work again the moment lassitude threatens to overcome you. Only those who have actually done this realize that there are depths to our minds which we seldom plumb. Accustomed as we are to succumb to the first attack of fatigue, or staying awake only so long as we have outer stimulation. Seal these slips of paper in 12 envelopes. Shuffle them thoroughly and put them in a drawer. Whenever you think of it, shuffle them again. Every other week or on a given day of each month, pick one of the envelopes, open it, and perform your own command. It may be raining pitchforks on the day you command yourself to travel 20 miles by public transportation. Nevertheless, unless your state of health absolutely forbids it, you go. There need not be 12 different orders on your slips. If you can think of activities which are genuinely difficult for you to do, which go against the grain, but which you yet know would be valuable training for you, Include them. One friend of mine who was abnormally shy insisted to himself that he should get into conversation with at least three strangers daily. Any activity you choose should be both corrective and unusual, cutting abruptly across your usual routine. Number eight. An alternative to the last exercise is this. From time to time give yourself a day when you say YES to every request made of you which is at all reasonable. The more you tend to retire from society in your leisure, the more valuable this will be. It is astonishing how many small requests we can turn aside daily, rather than interrupt our regular routine. However, the consequences of obliging these requests may be wide-reaching, often educational, and sometimes very advantageous. As you begin to take pleasure in these exercises, remind yourself that they are a means and not an end. Have you ever met one of those health seekers who eat just so many ounces of food per day, run just so many miles? or visit the gym just so many days per week, and then lead the dullest of personal lives? They have made themselves healthy and fit, for no purpose whatsoever. You, on the other hand, are training your mind, in order to engage it in definite activity, to live an extraordinary life worthwhile. The inspirational living podcast is a production of the living hour a special thanks to our book manufacturer blurb.com for providing our listeners with the living hour 30 coupon code to get 30 percent off our inspirational books as well as for anyone who wishes to use their book publishing platform learn more at livinghour.org forward slash books thanks for listening forward to talking with you next time.